what a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, man. Nothing else to say but that. How you doing? You doing okay? You've been worn out? You maybe feel disconnected, slipping into apathy. It's been an exhausting season. I just want to encourage you, hang on, reconnect. The effort it takes to re-engage with God, to re-engage with church, to re-engage with His Word is always worth it, and it's going to bear fruit in your life. And I just want to say, like right now, we're about to get into it. So lock it in, get engaged, take a moment, invite somebody to church quick, throw, uh, throw this up on, take a picture, throw it up on Instagram, like share your notes, do something to engage yourself more in this message because the fruit is going to be so worth it in your life. Listen, let's pray and we're going to get right into the next talk in our series, Worst Year Ever, Finding Hope in Anything. You ready? <laughs> Dear God, thank you so much. It's been a challenging year and a challenging season and no doubt people are feeling disconnected. Some people are feeling lost in the mess. Some people are we're hunkered down. It's cold out. It's you got. We got a virus spinning around. We're just waiting for for this next chapter and this next season. But we're trusting that what you're doing in us in this season is going to bear fruit. So, so right now, would you help us set aside the distractions in our living rooms or in our cars or on our cell phones? Help us set aside all of that stuff, and focus in on you. We know that your word does not go out and return void. We need you to do something in our lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this message that I'm calling it today the secret, the secret. In this series called Worst Year Ever, first we talked about how Jesus is finding hope in anything it's what we're learning through the worst year ever, and it all starts with Jesus is. He is king. He is sovereign. He is everything we need. Jesus is. And then last week, we talked about how it's a mess. Like sometimes there's some tables in our hearts that just need to be flipped up, some distractions we got going on that we just can't get away from. Jesus is, and it's time to get rid of the mess in our heart that's interrupting our relationship with him. And this week, it's the secret. The secret laid out in Scripture. And we're going to be in this passage in Philippians. So if you got your Bibles or your device, you want to follow along. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 19. Before I read that, I used to play this game. I, I speak at camps and um, events and conferences from time to time. And I remember, you know, a while ago, I used to to bust out this game in this one series of talks that I would do for students, and uh, it was this Would You Rather game. Maybe you've heard of that. I actually broke it back out when everything went locked down in March of 2020 of, the, of last year, and, uh, and people were hanging out at home. We, we were doing Would You Rather games through Facebook Lives, and it was a, it was a complete blast. Would you rather, though, is this game I used to bust out, junior hires like love it, this game I used to bust out where you have a choice, it was, and you have to pick, and you have to like quickly make a decision, and would you rather, would you rather, here's, here's some would you rathers, right, like would you rather be forced to sing along or dance along to every single song you hear? Some of y'all probably do that already. 
to the, uh, to the uh, frustration of everyone in your house, would you rather, like, you pick the worst of two bad situations in this game. Would you rather buy 10 things you don't need every time you go to the store or always forget the one thing you need. That sounds like my life already. I don't want any of those things. I would rather not do one of those things. I don't want to have to pick between worse and worse, bad and bad. I don't want to have to, I don't, I don't want to. I'd rather it be better. I'd rather it be better. Would you rather like always be underdressed or always be overdressed everywhere you go. Some of you are like, well, we know what you'd pick. <laughs> hey, that's not cool. Don't judge. Like, <laughs> would you rather, it's this game that picks, you know, gets even messier than the ones I gave you, but like, it's this game that pits two bad things and forces you to pick one of those bad things that you have to live with. And the truth is, I don't want to live with the worst and the worst. I want it to be better. I don't want to have to do a series called The Worst Year Ever, Finding Hope in Anything. I'd rather do a series, The Best Year Yet. It's coming, right? Like, come on, man. Like, I would rather it be better. But the reality in life is that sometimes better's not the option. Sometimes we have seasons in our life where we have to pick where we have to learn how to live with the worst year ever, where we have to learn how to find contentment in any and every circumstance, where we have to learn that it's okay to, and, and learn how to be, be okay in some tough stuff. I don't want to have to pick worst year ever. I don't want to have to pick between two bad things, two ridiculous things. I don't want to have to pick between settling in a bad circumstance, I don't want to, I'd rather it be better. Maybe you feel that right now. Like maybe you're like me and you're thinking right now, I don't want to have to deal with this stuff. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with the worst here ever. I don't want to have to talk about it. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to have to think about how things aren't good at home. I don't want to have to think about how things aren't good at work. I don't want to have to think about where I'd rather be. I don't want to think about how I got to deal with all this junk from this virus. I don't want to think about anything. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want it to be better. I want it to be better. What I'm learning, what I'm discovering, as I, as I feel this tension and this frustration, maybe you feel it too, what, what I'm discovering is I got to disconnect. I got to disconnect. I got to disconnect my situation from my satisfaction if I'm going to experience the hope that is available to me for free through Jesus even in the worst or the worst situations. So I, I'd rather it be better, but i got to disconnect my circumstances from my feeling of satisfaction. i got to disconnect my situation from my satisfaction. And some of you have been really struggling through whatever it is you're going through this, this year, this, this last year, the start of this year. Some of you feel frustrated and stuck because your satisfaction is tied to your situation. And it's a problem. 
the key, the key to it, the key to learning, the key to not, the key to learning how to experience hope, the key to disconnecting your situation from your satisfaction, the key to it all is this spiritual idea. Not, not our idea, because I get this wrong way too much. It's, it's, it's a biblical idea. It's God's idea for contentment. And that's what we're talking about. I don't know how content you feel. Maybe you feel super content. You feel as content as, you know, you just ate like a steak dinner and are sprawled out on your couch, letting your mind fall asleep watching a football game. Like, I don't know, maybe you're super content, but maybe if you look back over this last year, if you take a, take a glance at the issues you've been avoiding in your life, if you look at your kids or your grandkids, maybe if you look at your relationship with your parents, maybe if you look at what life has been like wandering through high school this year, on and off a couple days and trying to figure out how to make friends and, you know, do all those, maybe... Maybe losing your identity because the thing that you had is taken away from you. I don't know. Maybe if you're looking at life and you feel a little discontent, unsatisfied, like you have to pick between worse and worse and you just want it to be better, maybe this message will help. The key is the secret. Philippians 4 is this passage. It's, it's got two of the most famous verses from from anything Paul had written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's got two of the big verses, and you probably heard these verses, maybe even have a tattoo of one of these verses. I don't know. I hope, I hope we can start to understand them a little bit more, but I want to read this whole section, so you're going to have to hang on here with me as I jump into this. It says this. This is at the end of a book that Paul writes from prison, sometimes the context, sometimes seeing your circumstances, understanding your situation really makes what's going on in your life all the more powerful. And these words come in the PS section of a letter. They come in a jacked up thank you note after a letter written from prison. Paul shouldn't be there. He should be better. But here he writes these absolutely incredible words from prison. It's, it's a book full of joy. It's a book full of freedom. And isn't that crazy? Like, from prison, Paul gives this incredible discourse on contentment. If he, can, if he can preach this lesson from prison, I think we can learn it wherever we are right now. It was a coin flip for Paul when he wrote this book. It was a coin flip. Heads, you're free. Tails, you die. And in the middle of that uncertainty, in that prison, he writes words like this. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last, you renewed your concern for me. I told you it's a jacked up thank you note, right? Like, I re you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Like, if you're taking notes and, you're, and you're, you got a pen out and you take notes in your Bible, just write that. Just underline that. I'm going to tell you to underline a couple things. Like, I, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every 
situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, he learned to be content no matter what, no matter what he's driving, no matter what bus he has to take, no matter how much he has to eat, no matter whether he's eating some ramen noodles, come on, give some love to the ramen noodles, or whether he's having T-bone steaks every night. He knows what it's like to not have anything and to have everything, and he's learned the secret to being content, disconnected from his situation. It doesn't have anything to do with its circumstances. He's learned how to be satisfied. Whether he's out free, traveling the country, doing what he loves, or whether he's sitting in this jail cell. It's not a powerful thing. I have learned the secret to being content. I can do all things, it says in verse 13. I can do all this. All this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except only you. You can underline that. For even when, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. <laughs> what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. And here's the second verse, right? It's like a it's like a contentment sandwich here. Ready? And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> it's such a good passage, such a good verse. I'd rather be better, but what I need to do is I need to disconnect my, my contentment from my circumstances. I need to disconnect my satisfaction from my situation. I need to learn this kind of contentment, and I get it all wrong. You see, what I'm, what I'm realizing is I got my idea of contentment all wrong, which is why I can't. It's why I struggle separating my circumstances from my satisfaction, my situation from my contentment. Maybe you're there, right? Maybe you're realizing, like me, as I read this passage, as I as I dove into it over and over and over again, I realized how, how wrong my idea, my practice of contentment has been. See, I attach it to things or people or stuff. If I just have fill in the blank, then I'll be content. If I, if I just have notoriety, then I'll feel content. If I just have that dream come true, then I'll feel content. If I just had a better person in my life, if I just had a person, a companion in my life, then I would be content if I just got that job I wanted instead of working this one that I didn't want, waiting for the one I wanted, then I would be content. If I just, if I just had these things, if I just had kids, I'd be content. If I just had a family, I'd be content. If I just had 
more money, I will be content. I just want contentment, and we attach it to these ideas and these things and these circumstances. Uh, if I just had it, maybe you've said that. I don't know what your fill in the blank is, but I think with a little bit of transparency and self-reflection, we look at our lives, and there's things we plug in that space. If I just had, if I just had a husband who listened to me more, if I just had a boss that appreciated me more, if I just had a friend that showed up when I needed him, if I just had a little more money to buy a little more things to make my life a little more comfortable, I'd be content. We attach it. We attach it. But then, then life, it's not, life is painful. It's full of disappointments. It's troubling, I know. It's a promise I don't like. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, this whole thing is it's, it's not about having everything be perfect. It's learning how to be good when it's not perfect. It's learning how to be content. So, so I connect contentment to things, but then life shows up, and it throws all these curveballs in it. You know, a kid gets sick. Nothing will mess with you like that. And contentment, satisfaction, it goes right out the window. I get the money I have, and then uh, I want, and then I realize that it's, it's not enough, you know? We get to the top of the mountain we want to get at, and then we look over and we see somebody else standing on a mountain a little bit higher than the mountain we just got to, and the, dis the contentment, it slips away from us. Contentment, it's a, it's, so we chase it. We just keep chasing and chasing and chasing contentment because you can never find contentment in a thing and, and when you're chasing contentment the biggest mistakes i've ever made in life have come chasing contentment i wonder if you could reflect on that for a second i think you've think you'd find it to be true the biggest mistakes you've made in life man they probably come chasing contentment the biggest the darkest valleys you've had to walk through in life maybe not all of them but a few of them man they've come they've come because of the chase for contentment we think that two plus two equals four and we find out that we're working the wrong equation we can't find contentment adding things up. The, the, the math doesn't work out like that. It's like saying two plus three equals flashlight. It's not even the same language. Things can't give you contentment. And contentment gives you hope. I chase it, though. I chase it trying to find contentment in status or what people say about me or things that are going on in life. I try to find contentment in all of these different things. I keep chasing it, but contentment can't be found in a thing, and it's not found in a circumstance either. You see, when we don't find contentment, what we do is we just move the goalposts. When, when you can't find contentment in a relationship, you decide maybe, maybe you just got to settle. Move the goalposts. Lower your expectations. 
But that's not right either. I mean, God's a really big God. He calls us to have big expectations of him and what he wants to do in our life. We're supposed to be people of faith and people of belief. We, we chase contentment, and when we don't find it, we move the goalposts and we settle. But that's not real contentment either. Because even when we settle, we still find ourselves dreaming of the better thing we thought would give us contentment. Even when we settle, we still have those horrifying moments where we feel like epic failures. We still have those moments where we feel like our purpose is lost, where we're not doing what we're created to do. We still have those moments where we realize that something is missing. If you've settled, you know it to be true. You know that contentment is still elusive, even if you spend your life moving the goalposts and settling in your circumstances. It's why we got to disconnect. We got to disconnect. It's why Paul says both things in this passage. I've learned the secret to being content, whether I don't have anything or whether I have it all, because you can have it all. And be discontent. You can have nothing and be discontent. You see, we have got to disconnect. We've got to change our thinking on contentment. And we've got to disconnect it. We've got to disconnect it like when you, you wait to call that person you don't really want to talk to until you're getting to the dead zone on your commute home from work. You know you've done that, right? Come on. You know you've done that, right? You like... Wait, and you're like, oh, yeah, well, I can make this a one-minute conversation because I know I'm going to hit that dead spot up there and it's going to drop the call. Now I just realized I can never, every time I drop a call, intentionally or not, people are going to be like, hey, what did he just, did he just, <laughs> come on, you know, like when you want to fake the whole, like, <laughs> you're breaking up, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it, <laughs> did you say something about deadline, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> ah, you know, like, we got to disconnect it from, we got to disconnect our satisfaction from our situation. We got to disconnect our bad idea of contentment from our circumstances and understand this contentment that Paul can write from prison. If your world feels like a prison, you should have hope right now. If you feel like you're in a prison because your business has gotten train wrecked by a pandemic, because your church isn't going the way it used to go because of a pandemic, if you feel like you're in a prison because you're sick of the person you live with, if you feel like you're in a prison because things just aren't going good relationally for you, you're wondering if the grass is green or on another side. If you feel like you're living in a prison because you're not satisfied emotionally or, or physically in life, you, we've got to get the right spiritual idea so that we can understand that even from a prison in life, we can experience contentment and joy without settling. Contentment and joy because all of the sudden, we're living in the biblical idea of that, not just the circumstantial one. This passage is amazing. Paul has so much to say about contentment here in it. And we got to disconnect. We, we got to understand that commitment, it's a state. It's, it's, if you look it up on Webster's, right, it says it's, a, it's an emotional or a physical state. I, I love Webster. It's a great you know, definition of contentment, but it's short. It's a short 
definition of contentment. It's not just what Paul's talking about. It's not just an emotional, ah, yeah, it'll affect your emotions. It'll affect your emotions. And that emotion that we think of when we think of contentment will kick into your heart a little bit more. It'll affect your physical life and and experience. and, And you'll experience contentment more in your soul and less anxiety and those kind of things. But it's not that. It's bigger than that. You see, what Paul's writing about, it's a spiritual state that will affect your emotional state. It's a spiritual state that will affect your physical state. This is, contentment is a state. It's a way of being. One of the most important words in this whole thing, you got to circle this, is is, you got to understand this. It says he learned. We skip right past that to our favorite, like, weight room verse, right? He says, I learned the secret. It didn't just happen. It's not just something that went great right away. He had to go to, like, school. for. Con- he had to, like, go through the, like, it's a hard knock life for us. Like, contentment was something he learned along the journey Some of us, we sit waiting for contentment to drop out of the sky like a bolt of lightning. All of a sudden, flick the switch and I'm better. All of a sudden, change my perspective and it's going to work. Buy the right book from the bookstore. Get the right app and then all of a sudden, I'm going to have contentment. But, But Paul's not saying that. He's saying, I learned. I learned contentment. I learned it. I went to school for contentment. School is something I learned as God was doing something new in me. Contentment was something I learned as I was failing sometimes. Contentment it was something I learned through the, through the tough times in my relationships. Contentment was something I learned as I had to come, to come to grips with my past. Did you know Paul killed some Christians like he had a bad past? Contentment was something he learned as he had to break away from the ritualistic routine of religion to experience freedom in Christ. Contentment was something he learned along the journey, something God was teaching him. Through all of the good days and all of the bad days, it was a spiritual state of being. He could learn to be content in everything. He learned it. We, contentment is something you gotta, we got to learn. And if it's something we got to learn, then it's something we got to practice. We're going to talk about, you're talking about practice? You're going to talk to me about, you know, Allen Iverson? Come on, it's not been that long since Allen Iverson dropped. All you millennials who don't understand the beauty of that clip need to go like YouTube, Allen Iverson talking about practice. We're going to talk about, you're going to talk to me about practice? You see, we don't want to practice. We just want to have it. We don't want to practice. We just want to win the game. We just want to go to contentment as fast and as easily as possible. But what if you're in this prison so you can learn contentment? What if you're in this relationship? If you, if you don't learn contentment through a relationship that's not perfect, guess what? You're going to find in the next relationship the grass isn't greener over there. It looks it. Only because of the grass you're standing in. But you get over there and you wander around a little while, you'll find that pasture's got some piles of, you know, like the sheep have been eating dry spots over there too. Like it's not, it's not greener over there. Contentment is something that is a state. 
And it's more than Webster. Webster says it's an emotional or physical state. It's not. It's a spiritual state. That's why he says there in this passage, he doesn't say not with, he says in. It doesn't say I've learned to be content with having everything, with having nothing. I've learned to be content with, it says in. I've learned to be content in. You don't have to be content if you are in an un, with an unhealthy situation. You don't have to be content with being mistreated by people. You don't have to be content with abuse. You don't have to be content with, with your addiction. You don't have to be content with that stuff. It's not good to be content with that stuff. We just need to learn how to find our contentment in any situation. So that God can do in us what he needs to do in us. So we can step to the future that he has for us. we got to disconnect and learn to be content in anything. Contentment. There's a master class here from Paul in the middle of this. And, uh, and, and the secret to it is that weight room verse. It's on every weight room, right? Like I can do all things, it says. I love the NIV here. It says, it says in the NIV, I can do this. I can do these things. I can, I can find contentment. It's not like Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield wore a robe when he was fighting Mike Tyson. You kids are too young for that. Evander, this is thing called boxing. It's not MMA. It was boxing. It's a, it's a sport, right? Like dudes punch each other. There's actually rules, like legit rules. And like, so Evander Holyfield's taking on Mike Tyson. He throws this robe on. It says Philippians 4.13, right? Like, and everybody's like, oh yeah, like he has a verse. I love it. And I love it when he knocked out, you know, or he he beat Mike Tyson, but then he wore it for Lennox Lewis and it didn't work. So does the verse not apply? It's not a verse that means you can squat everything they put on the squat rack. It's not a verse that, that means that you can score a goal every time you want to score a goal on the soccer field. It's not a verse that means that you're going to win the championship game. It doesn't mean you're going to win any games. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. What it means is when God's your source, you can be found where you need to be found right now. You can do what he has set you out to do right now. When Christ is your source of strength, you can find contentment in anything. He's the source. He's the source. You get this like source sandwich right here. These two famous verses sandwiched with a bunch of stuff in this passage. Four things to run through here. You ready for this? Four things. One, you got to, this, is how to, this is how to make it a practice. To, to make it, you can't get there if Jesus isn't your source. James 1, 17, for every good and perfect gift comes down from the heavens above from our Father who loves us, right? Like that's misquoted, but go read it. It's an important verse. James 1, 17, like he has got to be the source, not your circumstances. Don't confuse the supply with the source. It's not things. It's never been things. It's been the God who has provided for you. It's not the sermon. It's the word God has given us in this. Don't confuse the two. It's not, it's not your wife or your husband. That's the source of your contentment. That's how you disconnect. It's God. It's God. 
who has given you your wife and husband. It's not the money you got in the bank account that gives you contentment. You see, your source is a father in heaven who's perfect and provides for you. you got to get the source right. This verse is about the source. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's saying, like, I can be content in any situation. I can write about joy and, and freedom and love and hope from a prison cell with a coin flip. I may die at the end of this. I can write all of this because Jesus is my source, not the stuff. My satisfaction is connected to him, not my situation. Here's four things, I think, in this passage. You ready? Get your pens out. Get ready to rock. Four things to make contentment a spiritual practice in your life. Paul, he lays these things out in, in this passage. I think we'll start at verse 10. The number one thing is get a better perspective. And I have three kind of sub points under this. Believe the best in others. This is a jacked up thank you note. He says, like, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. You just had no opportunity to show it. I, I, got, a, I got trouble with this sometimes. I want, it, I want to be better at this in life. Believe the best. Shift your perspective. Believe the best in others. Paul's saying like, man, you now, like you did, you haven't given me, you haven't helped me out like in a long time. Like here he is in jail. I don't know. He needs funds. Um, here he is, right? He's like, I don't, you haven't been there. Instead of like complaining and like at last and, and dwelling on the at last, he says, yo, but you probably didn't have an opportunity. You would have if you could have. You, you want to, I, I bet you wanted to, you just didn't. I get it, you've been distracted, things didn't go great. I know you're thinking about me. I know you care even when you don't express it. I know you love me even when you don't say it. I'm, I'm going to believe the best in you instead of believing the worst in you. He flicks his perspective here and he chooses these Philippians who he's writing this letter to. He chooses to believe that even when it seemed like they weren't showing up for him, that they still cared, they still loved him, they were still praying for him, he was still on their mind, and that at the first opportunity they had, they gave a gift to him. He believes the best in others. Some of you walk around in this rut of believing that everybody's out to get you and make your life worse. That, that every comment coming from your spouse is a dig. That every negative thing someone says is just a definitive statement on your identity. You walk around expecting people to let you down, maybe even setting them up to let you down. You walk around and instead shift your perspective, believe the best. In verse 13, it's a shift in this, I can, I can do all this. I love that I can part because our default is often I can't. Some of you grew up with people telling you you can't. You can't because you're not. You're not good enough or you're not enough. Paul's default was, I can. Whatever is in front of me, I can do it through Christ. Whatever, he, whatever challenge presents itself, I can. I can. Shift your perspective. Believe the best in other people and have an I can default. Listen, if you can't, God will get you through it when you can't. If you can't, he'll provide some support to help you. If you can't, maybe it's the wrong thing you should have been doing anyway. You can deal with I can't when you get to I can't. Make your default. I can do it. Whatever God puts in front of me, I can do it because he's my source. And then have an attitude of gratitude. He says in verse 
let's see, in verse 15 and 16, powerful verses, he says, you know, in the early days, like, hey, I set out from Macedonia, nobody was helping me, nobody shared in my problems, nobody was there for me, except you, except you only, for even when I was in Thessalonica, I wasn't even around you, I wasn't even helping you, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. He chooses to have an attitude of, of gratitude. You can make a choice to change your perspective. Start to get rid of the negative in your life. Believe the best. Believe you can because your source is different than having a source from your circumstances. And have gratitude. What good gifts has God given to you right now? Check your desires. It's number two. Check your desires. In verse 17, it says, not that I desire your gifts. I wasn't looking for this gift. What I desire is more to be credited to your account. He, he checked his desires. I'm sure he was in a desperate place. I'm sure he probably needed money. Maybe he had legal fees, you know, or had to pay for his defense. I don't know. Maybe he just needed money to survive. Uh, he, he probably had all kinds of needs, but he checked his desires. He wasn't chasing anymore. He said, like, thanks for the gift. I didn't need it. I'm good. I wasn't trying to get your gift. I, I wasn't trying to find more money to make things better in my life. I appreciate what you did for me, but I didn't need it because I'm good. He checked his desires. He checked his desires and he made sure he wasn't chasing contentment in a circumstance. Are you? What have your desires, what do your desires reveal about what you're chasing? And the third thing he received, and some of, the, some of you, this is the biggest struggle you have because you can't, even, you can't even admit you need something. You can't say, I need so you can't receive anything because you're not even willing to admit you need help. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to say, I can't do it on my own. It's okay to say, I need a little help. It's okay to live dependently on God. The path to your best life is one of dependence and need where you say, God, I can't. I can't, I can't be the God of my own life can't be the man, the husband you need me to be. I can't be there for people all the time. I can't. I need you to do in me what I can't do in myself and then just receive. Practicing living dependent, though, is something we struggle with. The fourth thing here is live bigger than God. Live bigger than you. You blow the lid off your position with purpose. Some of you have let your position limit you in life. You've let your job title limit you in life. You've let your, your place limit you in life. It's time to blow the lid off your position. You are not limited by what your body can do. You are not limited by what title you have. You are not limited by your position in life. When you start living bigger than you and you start living in the purpose God has for you, man, the lid blows off of your potential and you contentment comes from living in your purpose with God as your source. Live bigger than you. Those four things here, I'd rather be better. I'd rather be better. I know I can practice contentment by choosing a better perspective. I can practice contentment by checking my desires and making sure I'm not chasing. I can practice contentment by admitting my dependence on Jesus and, 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 and 
being desperate for him to be my source so that I can flip it from I can't to I can. And I need to live bigger than just my position. I need to live in my purpose. That's how I practice being content. I'd rather be better, but I know that I can be. I can be better no matter what happens in life. I can be better if God, this good God, Jesus is the source of all I need. I can be where I need to be. I can find the strength I need for the journey he has for me. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. God, thank you so much that we don't have to have our contentment tied to our circumstances and our satisfaction tied to our situation. Thank you so much that you can be our source. Forgive us for chasing contentment and all these other things. Help us to realize our source is you. We can do all this through you giving us strength. And help us to practice Help us to learn contentment, the spiritual state of contentment, not the physical or emotional, the spiritual state of contentment. Help us to practice it every day so we have gratitude in our hearts and we choose to believe the best about people and we keep on receiving and be dependent upon you and we live lives that are bigger than our position. Help us to learn contentment and have you as our source in Jesus' name. Amen.